Slavery is back. Welcome to a place where private business profit from a captive labour force, yet pennies are spent on medical services to a population in which the Indigenous, the poor and the mentally ill are overrepresented. Where isolation, humiliation and degradation are facts of life. Welcome to prison. It depends who's telling the story, I suppose. The prisoners would have one view. The people who work in the prison system would have another. And I think it's up to people to decide uh, you know, where, where the truth is. Give government propaganda and the media spin doctors the flick. And check out Doin' Time for news, views and tunes on prison issues from Guantanamo Bay to Christmas Island to prisons and detention centres everywhere. Every Monday at 4pm on your community radio, 3CR. We are still fired up and we're still talking about revolution. Hello and welcome to the Doin' Time Show. This is 3CR Community Radio, 855am on the dial, streaming live on www.3cr.org.au. This is Marissa and I'll be taking you through until 5 o'clock this evening. And I suppose, I'm sure listeners are aware of this already, but we are still in stage four restrictions of the pandemic and the Doin' Time Show has been doing a lot of coverage, quite extensive coverage, over the last month or so in regards to increased police powers, the right to protest um, and balancing that out with the health crisis and health concerns. And I'm sure that lots of listeners are going through lockdown fatigue as as well. Um, yeah, but, but as well as that, uh, we've been doing a lot about Aboriginal deaths in custody as well and looking at prisoners' rights and the rights of asylum seekers and refugees in the context of the pandemic and to, to being able to stop the spread of the infection in prisons and detention centres. First up on the show, we're going to be speaking with Paddy Gibson, who is a long-time activist in Sydney, New South Wales, and we're going to be speaking with him about his work in regards to um, hopefully Aboriginal deaths in custody or building the movement to stop it, and really looking at what he's been doing, what, what his campaigns are, and having a look at the, the protest situation, because we all know that it is terribly important to prioritise health. It's important to stop the spread of coronavirus. But as well as that, while that's extremely important, what can we do so that we can still have have gatherings and do that in a safe way, in a safe manner? And then after that, we will be speaking with El Ray, um, Bokaman El Ray, who is at Christmas Island and... This um, young man is actually from Cuba and he's stuck at Christmas Island at the moment. He's a gifted musician and we'll be speaking with him about his music and also about his experiences at Christmas Island, how he got there. And um, he's wanting actually to give out a few cheerios to his family in Cuba. So we'll be speaking with Paddy shortly. For the first time, the Australian Friends of Palestine Association will hold the annual Edward Said Memorial Lecture via Zoom. On the 17th of October, former Western Australian MP Melissa Park will present her lecture, The Conscious Pariah, How Distortions of Facts, Contortions of Logic and Assassinations of Character are Used Against Critics of Israel While It Poses as the Plucky Democracy and the Eternal Victim. For free registration, visit www.afopa.com.au. That's www.afopa.com.au. Australian Friends of Palestine Association is a 3CR supporter. And you're back with the Doing Time show, and we've got Paddy Gibson on the line. Welcome, Paddy. Oh, hello there. It's great to have you on the show. Thanks very much for having me. Yeah, now, Paddy, I was just talking to listeners about building the movement to stop Aboriginal deaths in custody. And first of all, I wanted to thank you for organising Paul Silver, nephew of David Dunguy, who actually was interviewed on the show last week. 
Oh, no problem. It's been great supporting that family and, uh, you know, really learned so much from their inspiring struggle that they've put up over the last, yeah, almost five years now since David Dungay was was killed by screws in, in Long Bay Prison uh, here in Sydney. So it's been wonderful to see Paul, you know, really step up and play a leadership role in the movement and, and in the protests we've had here in Sydney. Can you tell us about the protest and, and some of the demands of that protest and what's been happening with David Dungay? Sure, yeah. So, look, I work part-time as a researcher at uh, the Jumbunner Institute, which is an Indigenous research unit attached to the University of Technology, Sydney. And my boss is Larissa Berent, uh, who's a, an Aboriginal scholar and lawyer and writer. And um, she's built a research unit that's very much engaged in uh, the day-to-day struggles for justice uh, that have been carried on by Aboriginal families and communities. And, you know, our, our work is really in service of those communities. Uh, one of the main areas that we uh, provide some assistance is with families who are going through coronial inquests after the death of a loved one in police or prison custody. Um, I'm also a, like an activist myself. I'm a long-time socialist. I'm a member of a group called Solidarity. I edit the newspaper with other comrades and do a lot of organising of protests here in Sydney. So, you know, my role in a lot of these deaths in custody cases is both in a professional capacity in terms of assisting people in the legal system and the coronial inquest, but also connecting, you know, with families and building the broader movements of solidarity and struggle, you know, on the streets. And that's what I've been doing with David Dungay's family since day one is assisting that family, um, you know, with their efforts to actually take to the streets and demand justice for David. Um, and also, you know, the long uh, struggle that they've put up in the legal system, trying to get some recognition and ho- get some accountability for the guards that killed David. Uh, very sadly, uh, those efforts have been frustrated by the racism of that system. Uh, the Dungays have come up against many of the barriers that other Aboriginal families right across Australia deal with when they try to seek justice. And that's, you know, a real inability of the system uh, to to actually turn inward and look at and prosecute uh, police or prison officers or anyone, uh, you know, who's, who's committed these acts against Aboriginal people and led to their death. The system works to protect, you know, protect these individuals uh, far more than anything else. So um, even though the coronial inquest, like we had an inquest, which took many years to come, so the family was left for many years without any answers, Finally, we get an inquest, and it comes out in the inquest that the cell raid by the guards who ran into David's cell and held him down, he was screaming, I can't breathe, as they held him into the ground until he died. It was done without any lawful authority whatsoever. The guards actually had no right to enter David's cell at that time. He was actually in the Long Bay Prison Hospital, so he was in the hospital wing. And if you're going to do a cell transfer, which they were doing at that time, you actually need the permission of medical officials from within the hospital who need to say there's a reason why someone should be, for medical reasons, should be moved from their cell. That didn't happen in this case. The guards got into an argument with David and just took it upon themselves to charge into his cell over a packet of biscuits, actually. So that's the basic injustice is we found out that there's this unauthorised, unlawful raid on a cell that actually killed David. And yet the coroner never said that the matter should be referred for charges. So the the, uh, Department of Public Prosecution should actually charge the guards. And as a result of the failure of the coroner to suggest that there should be charges... The Department of Public Prosecutions here in New South Wales has just refused to consider the question of charges against the guards. The WorkSafe Authority that monitors health and safety in workplaces, the families also requested that they prosecute corrective services. They've refused to even look at it. So that's the basic the situation we've got at the moment is... Through the campaign, we've actually been able to quite recently get an opinion from a, a senior barrister here in Sydney, Philip Bolton, who's a, who's a senior criminal barrister, who's written out an opinion about why the guards should and could actually be charged with manslaughter and be found guilty. Um, but again, the Department of Public Prosecutions just hasn't acted. So I guess that's the, the, the background uh, for your listeners about some of the work I do and, and what we've been demanding with the family. Yeah. Absolutely. And the Doing Time show interviewed Latona, mother of, of David, and she was so severely traumatised during that interview that she could barely speak and so angry and, and so um, hurt about what had happened. 
Yeah, it really just has been just so traumatising. I mean, you did mention at the start there, you asked a question about protests. I mean, and that, that's one thing, I guess, that has been uplifting about the last three or four months is, you know, there's this horrible event in the United States, the murder of George Floyd. But because George Floyd was screaming, I can't breathe, as he was killed by the police, you know, this family really recognised their struggle, you know, in that moment. And, you know, their, their own son was screaming, I can't breathe, in precisely the same way George Floyd was. So, you know, um, a number of us who've been assisting the family for many years, you know, we really kicked into gear when the Black Lives Matter moment happened and the big rallies were being planned, you know, to, to try and organise and raise funds, and a lot of funds were raised, to make sure that the family could come to Sydney in big numbers. And they did come to Sydney. There was about 45 members of the Dungay family that actually led the big rally here in Sydney um, where we had 40,000 on the streets uh, for Black Lives Matter. And that was fantastic. You know, and so many people now know the name of David Dungay who didn't before because of all the exposure through these rallies. But I think that's really why the police have taken steps, uh, very harsh steps, here in New South Wales to basically shut down protest. Um, they're using the coronavirus laws as an excuse to move in against any protest, but it's quite a hypocritical situation where, you know, on the weekend we had football games that were attended by in excess of 20,000, 30,000 people here in Sydney going to the football. You know, the, 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 the um, movie theatres are open for patrons to go in and watch movies now. Um, you know, you can do so many things in this city, it's almost as though COVID doesn't exist now, except gather in public. You're not allowed to gather in public in groups of more than 20 people. And if you try, the police will come in very hard and break up the rally and arrest you. And so the Dungay family really led a protest where we tried to defy those laws um, and we were shut down by the police. I was arrested. A number of people were arrested and fined. So, you know, we're, we're trying to come around again now and prepare for a, maybe a court challenge or something that's going to be able to challenge these laws and look at getting us back out on the streets because, you know, the government, I think, was very threatened and the police felt very threatened by that huge display of solidarity, both Indigenous people, non-Indigenous people as well, standing alongside in solidarity in such large numbers, demanding accountability for all the continuing black deaths in custody. And, and they, I think they really moved against that and thought, we've got to try and shut this down. Otherwise, you know, there's going to be a lot of pressure for change that they don't, and accountability that they don't want to be subject to. So they've been really, they've really persecuted, um, you know, any activists who've been trying to organise uh, around the issue of Aboriginal deaths in custody. And that's spilled over now into shutting down basically all protests here in Sydney. I'm actually just about to go back in when we finish this interview to a court case that's being held at the moment where my union, the National Tertiary Education Union, is again being taken to court by the police trying to stop a rally we want to hold tomorrow against the cuts to higher education that are taking place, you know? So it's a, an incredible situation in New South Wales where they're basically, everything's legal now except protest is, is, is still restricted because of the, because of the COVID laws. So, so, so basically, this is a, a completely different situation to Victoria. Then, so you, this is stage two, right? Well, we don't have the stages in the same way that you guys have talked about stages. Yeah. So, okay. It's not, you know, but they have what they've done is, you know, they, they they've introduced, you know, a series of restrictions and then eased those restrictions, you know, as the cases have come ah. down. And 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 basically, what's happened in New South Wales is, school has been back now for months. So people have been going to school for months. There's no workplaces that are shut. There's no workplaces where it's illegal to, to carry out that work. All the cafes are open, all the restaurants are open. Everything's open. There's just COVID regulations around how you uh, go, how you conduct yourself in a restaurant, for example. You can't get up and move around from your table, maybe, though everyone does. Yeah. Or you've got to, you know, sign the register when you go in, though hardly anyone does. You so know? there's no so there's limits all that to, sort of to patrons coming into the restaurant? Well, you know, in theory there are. In theory there are limits on the patrons and they have sign-ups on the door saying however many people could come in or not. But it's not heavily policed. Um, so basically everything's open. Everything's running, right? But, well, then but public th there's a right to protest well, there's not. <laughs> so that's the problem we've got. So, so, the, so, the, so the legislation prohibits public gatherings oh. of any more than 20 people. So you, no, that's so you, not so right. You, that's not right. No. And you can organise an indoor gathering, right? So, if, so with my union, right, I could hold a meeting on my university campus and could probably have about 100 people come to that meeting. But if I want to go outside and hold a rally, the police will shut us down and arrest us. I mean, it's ridiculous, right? It's got nothing it at all to do, yep. nothing at all to do with you, coronavirus. 
You can get coronavirus indoors more than outdoors, for God's sake. That's, that's exactly right. So it's, it's nothing to do with coronavirus. It's the police taking advantage of a situation where they can shut down dissent, which is what they've wanted to do forever, and they're not going to let go of that power. So, you know, I am going to have to go soon because I've got to go back in court. Of course. What the, what the police are arguing right now in court, you know, is, is that this small, limited union rally tomorrow, where the proposal is only for 100 people, all of us will be in groups of less than 20 spread out across the park... The police are trying to say that is such a risk to public health that it should be prohibited by the court, you know? And and then you walk outside and get in a train carriage that's got more people than that in one carriage, you know? Like, the whole thing's ridiculous, but it is just the police, you know, taking advantage of a situation to consolidate their power. And, And the reason why they started doing this was because the Black Lives Matter movement was getting such momentum. So the first protests they moved in to shut down were Black Lives Matter protests. And then they went on from there when they got away with that and they started shutting down everyone else. So I think there's a lesson in that as well for people in terms of, obviously, Indigenous people in this country are the most oppressed, you know, subject to the heaviest uh, policing, subject to the, you know, heaviest regulation. But if we let Aboriginal people, you know, let the government get away with that kind of oppression, then they'll spread out and, 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 and do the same to other groups as well. And that's exactly what we're seeing at the moment in New South Wales. They shut down all the Black Lives Matter rallies, then they move straight on to the student rallies. Now they're moving to the union rallies and they're basically saying no one can rally at all in, in, in the city of Sydney. Despite the fact that in this particular rally where you're going, where you're going to have to go into court today, that, that social distancing is being practised even though there isn't even a state of emergency in place. Exactly. That's right. Yes. So we are saying that actually our protest will not break the law tomorrow because we'll be in groups of less than 20. We'll just be happen to be in the same park listening to the same, same PA system, right? So, you know, I've seen people can go in Victoria to the park now in small groups and there's circles on the ground, you know, people sit in their circles or whatever. Like, we're saying we'll do a similar thing. We'll go to the park, but we'll spread out in little groups. Yeah. But they're saying, no, that won't be allowed. And, and, and the police will come in and arrest everyone. And they will arrest people. I mean, there's, you know, there's probably more than $70,000 worth of fines now that have been given out to, to, to protesters over the last month or so, or month or, month or two here in Sydney. Um, there's a, there's a, a friend of mine who's an activist who's actually on criminal charges as a result of organising a, organizing a rally. Um, you know, he was arrested in a group of 15 people. Um, there were other small groups spread out around the university when he was arrested. And he wasn't given bail. So he spent a night in the Newtown Police Station, denied bail as being a a risk to public health um, for standing in the group of 15 people. It's extraordinary. It is extraordinary and it sounds actually worse than what's happening in Victoria in some ways, in all honesty. Because here we've got... Well, the hypocrisy, that's right. Yeah, the hypocrisy is really galling. It's like, you know, other things are allowed but, but, but protest isn't. Yeah. Indeed it is. Look, Paddy, thank you so much for coming onto the show. I'll let you go back into the courtroom. Thank you. But, no problem. But, yep. but um, it's, it's been great having you, and it's, it's been really fantastic that you've actually been able to explain all this because I want to make it clear to listeners that we are not saying that cor- the spreading of coronavirus, like, it is a priority to stop that infection. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, in fact, you know, unless we're organised to be able to stand up for our rights, we're not going to be able to stop the infection, you know? Like, we've got to be able to find safe ways to advocate for our rights against powerful interests that don't care about the virus, you know? So so it is important. The police have been, in in Sydney, have been particularly draconian, especially when Uncle Ray Jackson was alive. The way they treated, you know, TJ Hickey was impaled on that fence and, you know, a lot of other things. Absolutely, absolutely. But, look, thanks for your time today and I hope it helps you explain the situation for your listeners. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Take care, Paddy. Thanks, mate. Okay, bye. Bye Bye-bye. Hi, we're the Marindas and you're listening to 3CR Community Radio 855 AM. Fitzroy Legal Service has launched a free information and advice phone service for people who have been stopped, questioned fined or charged for breaching COVID-19 restrictions. Have you been fined or charged under the new laws or stopped and questioned by police for being outside? Call 0434 136 501. Weekdays between 9am and 5pm. 
That's 0434 136 501. Or head to fitzroy-legal.org.au for more information. You can also report incidents at covidpolicing.org.au. Fitzroy Legal Service is a 3CR supporter. Pronounce his name better than what I'm doing, but um, we're going to be speaking with yep. 
Botcherman El Rey. Hello. Yes. Hello. Oh, hello. It's Mar Welcome to the program. It's Marissa. Thank you, Marissa. Thank you so much for inviting me to the program. It is so lovely to have you. Now, I'm wondering, could you just tell listeners your full name? My full name? Just your name. Boshaman P and K Array. Beautiful, beautiful. Now, you're at Christmas Island, aren't you? Yes, I am Christmas Island at the moment. And you're from Cuba? I am from Cuba. Now, I'm wondering if you could just tell listeners a little bit about your music and also talk about how you got to Christmas Island and what happened. My music, um, uh, my music is my professional job. I've been doing this um, age 20, like a professional. Um, I do different kind of, of the style music, like I can do salsa, I can do reggaeton, hip-hop, um, reggae. Yeah, the music for me is, um, is everything, you know? This made me relieve uh, uh, my feelings um, and make the people feel good. That's great. And we'll have to play some at, at some stage um, on the show. So how can you describe what happened with Christmas Island and what's going on there? How, how did you end up there? Oh, uh, um. Well, listen, I don't know if you see some of the of the new music I made um against the injustice and the culture of of this government in this country, um the racism, um they're treating us like uh, from another planet, like uh, we know as human beings. Yep. Um yeah, um I come here to this time and this is my first time in Christmas Island, but I come here this time because I was uh, made a song um, against uh, of the Australian government and telling the truth, and they're not happy about it because, you know, when you speak the truth to these people, they don't like it at all, but that for that reason, they sent me to this detention center in Christmas Island. How long have you been there you for know, at Christmas Island? Like, maximum How long were you, have, you, have you been there for? At the moment, I've been here for two months. And where were you before yeah, that? But I've been here before. I've been here before, and I've been for six years in the detention centre. Oh, okay. And which detention centre was that? Which detention centre? Which de detention centre was that? This, uh, I come from Villawood and um, Janga Hill. It's another detention centre from Perth. And um, from Perth, I come here and to Christmas Island. Oh and my I'll be goodness! In Melbourne too. Melbourne detention centre. I'll be in Melbourne detention centre too. That is too much. So you you've been taken to to so many places. That must be very traumatic for you. Yes, Marisa, it's like a fest to you, you know. This play is built to breaking us, you know. Um, they don't have any right to um, to kick you out from the country, but uh, because they can't do that, what they've done is they try to give you hard time, and in that way they can break you, and you can sign it and go. You know what I mean? But if you still strong, uh, you don't have choice to be strong, you know? Like too many people, for example, they have family, they have kids, they have a business in this country. Um, that's not only because they're coming from different backgrounds and they're taking yes. the visa and they're putting in this uh, facility. Um, uh, they can handle it. You know, some people... Uh, and I see too many people killing themselves, their life, and some people are going crazy. Some people sign and go back to their country. But in situations yeah. like me, I am, I am in limbo, you know, because I am a political refugee from Cuba, and, and I come back to my country because you know it's a dictatorship. They, they, um, 
they bad, you know. The government is bad there too, but it's not too much difference okay. between that government. So, so you're saying then that you, you had to leave Cuba because there was police corruption. Were you a political prisoner? Yes. Yeah, I've never been in prison, but I make a documentary with Australian company, SBS. Yeah. Uh, with David O'Shea, a journalist, um, and this documentary was against uh, my president, because my president is a dictatorship against the government, how the way they're fighting us, the corruption of the government. Um, yeah, and I can't go back. If I go back, um, I am getting over, you know. Um, for that reason, they keep me here in the detention center. They don't want to be... They cancel my visa, but they don't want to release me to the Australian community. Um, they keep me here uh, and, um, all my life, indefinitely time in the detention center and do whatever they want, you know? Yeah. So so you, do you have a lawyer working on your case? Um, at the moment, I know how a lawyer, Barisa, but I want to be this, uh, very, very honest to you. Uh, it's not a way. You know how a way how to get out of this place. Yeah. That's a matter. That's a matter. And I'm telling you the truth from my heart because too many yeah. people in the community, they don't know exactly what's going on in Australia. They don't know what's going on in this beautiful country because it's a beautiful country, but this government, uh, no good. No good at all. Can no you tell me, tell um, us what the condition... Yeah. Go on. But at the even even every detainee here, because it's a lot of Africans, a lot of Europeans, a lot of Asians, a lot of all different nationalities. Even if we go to court, the judge, they decide they must release you and give you visa. They never give you a uh, Peter Dutton. Yep. They never give you the visa to us. They don't care what the judge says. And it's something yeah. I can't understand. It's something I can't understand how a judge is the law of, the, of one country, how one minister of the immigration, the home affairs, can have more power of the of the judge when the judge is the law. You know what I mean? Yeah, I understand. And can I ask you something? Here, it, I, I'm yes. wondering, sorry, um, is there a way that you can tell listeners... What are the conditions like on Christmas Island? What what what's it like there? Um, listen, Marisa, um, I told you the truth from the bottom of my heart. The condition here is the worst of the world. Here we don't have internet. We are free men. We're not supposed to hear from the first play anyway. We have problem with the just a piece of paper or the visa. Um, we know how internet, uh, the water is dirty, they can make you sick. Um, we the know water even is can dirty? have visits from the own family. We can even have visits from the own family, from the friends, from nobody. And we know in the mainland, you know, we like, uh, we feel like uh, abandoned, like uh, far away where from do the you family, sleep? You know? is, is it, I, where do you sleep at night? Uh, where I sleep, I sleep in a room. I have my own room. But okay, the so they have rooms there? Because we've been 20 hours locked up in the compound. Okay. So there's a lot of lockdown? It's the 22 hour locked up in the compound, imagine. Super maximum security prison. When you're killing somebody, would you do something wrong? Do you do, for example, 25 years, you be. 23 hour lockdown in the in the in the cell. We 22 hour lockdown in this compound. Just only they giving to us two hours to get out to the yard to do some training and do some work. Yeah. Imagine. The so, is there anything that you want to tell? You would like to can tell listeners? This is your opportunity. What do you want to say? What I want to say, um. Please, Australia, please, people, we are human beings. We're suffering this incarceration, torture, unfair punishment from this um, government. Um, please um, think about us because we have family in this country. We live in this country for many years. Um, to the people... 
they know how visa, please don't get into any trouble like uh, drinking and driving, minimal thing, you know, uh, any any little issues because they wanna finish in this place and this place is like worth the Guantanamo Bay. Mentally, it's worth the Guantanamo Bay. This is like a concentration camp. Is there anyone from your family you would like to say hello to in Cuba? Yes, I want to say hello to my beautiful mom, to my beautiful son, to my brothers and sisters, to my old friends from Cuba, from Australia, because too many people follow me. I want to say thank you to you, Marisa. Thank you to everyone who invited me to this program. Um, I want to send love to the world. Just I want to be the world, be a better place. Thank you for everyone. And my love Is there everyone. a song that you can sing us? Yes. But we do have a language warning, though. Um, is there a song that you can sing to the listeners? At the a moment, short one. But at the moment, at the moment, you're talking about a song about um, about what, for example? Well, do you have a song that you can sing now? A short one. Song. Yeah, I have. Any song, I have song in English, I have song in Spanish. Yeah, but there is a language warning. Is there, is there a song that doesn't, you know, that you could sing? A, a short one. At the us? moment? Yes. At, right now? Yes, why not? Yeah. Why not sing it to you a little bit one? A little one? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Listen. There is a language la warning. Ropa, but... de la ropa. That's the one. <laughs> And so can you translate that? <laughs> that song is a um a beautiful girl um uh, you can take your clothes off and put your you screen your bikini and go to the beach because you look so beautiful. Oh <laughs> Okay. <laughs> well you know what, sometimes it's good to laugh, isn't it? Look, thank you so much for coming yes, onto yes, the show. We'd like to laugh. have you back as a regular guest. But this is always good to have yes, an introduction, thank you so isn't much. it? Thank you. So, Thank and you and so it's much. actually good that what? that they weren't able to pass that bill where they were going to take away mobile phones, remember? Yes. Yeah. All right, yes. um, El Ray, and let's have you back very soon. Thank you so much. You're welcome, Marisa. Thank you so much. I have a beautiful day. Uh, God bless you. Y- you too. Take care. Bye. Yes, Bye-bye. Bye. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM. Visit the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au forward slash podcast to hear the most recent recording from each show or 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming to listen live. When I was new to Melbourne, I found a Food Not Bombs fly on the road and I had like this feast with a carrot and carrots are my favourite vegetable. Yeah, I think they were asking for help doing stuff and I got in touch. We, I guess, rescue food. That would otherwise go to waste. I like the aspect of sharing food and um, not making anyone feel obligated to pay anything for it. We make a real point at Food Not Bombs of involving everyone who wants to be involved in whichever part they want to be involved in. For more information, go to fnbmelb.noblogs.org. Food Not Bombs is the 3CR supporter. I really am not understanding why people aren't seeing the fact that prisons are an integral part of 
a public health response to a pandemic. Like you, I'm really concerned about whether the data is being released very honestly about illnesses within prison. I have suspicions it's not, but really we need very strong leadership in this country that actually cares about people inside, our most vulnerable populations inside. That's what we need and that's not what we're getting right now. We need to keep radical voices on air. Subscribe now. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 9419 8377. And it's approximately five, uh, five, uh, sorry, 4.40 and you're back with the Doing Time show. And we just heard the interview, two interviews actually, one with Paddy Gibson, um, long-time activist and researcher from Sydney. And then we also heard from Mel Ray as well, who, who it's always good to have a few light-hearted interviews sometimes, isn't it? And he um, made light of his experience on Christmas Island and it was, it was good to talk to him about those issues. Now, until the end of the show, I'm going to be reading out an article and it's in regards to Auntie Tanya Day. And this article is from Sydney Criminal Lawyers and it's entitled Failure to Press Criminal Charges Over Tanya Day's Custody Death Reflects Wider Injustice for First Nations. And this article, I believe, was published on the 1st of the 9th, 2020 and it's by Paul Gregori. And... I'm just going to um, read that out so that, because we have done a lot of um, coverage on the inquest and on Auntie Tanya Day, and so this is just a bit of a follow-up um, just to explain everything about what's been going on. The decision not to charge two Victoria police officers that the state coroner suggested could potentially be found criminally negligent in relation to the ultimately fatal treatment that Tanya Day received whilst being held in police custody has left a bitter taste in the mouth of many. None more so than the family the 55-year-old Yotta Yotta woman left behind. Victoria Police told The Age on 26 August that after an assessment of the evidence and receiving advice from the Victorian Director of Public Prosecutions, it would not be pressing charges against the two officers involved. It's extremely raw that Danny Walters and Edwina Neal received no punishment at all for taking our mother away from us. Auntie Tanya's daughter, April Day, tweeted following the announcement. She added that Victoria Police and the DPP make a mockery of the justice system. In a joint statement, Miss Day's four children have suggested that the DPP had decided to let the officers off in relation to having left their mother to die on the floor of a police cell based on a flawed investigation that lacked independence. The Day family criticised the authorities for coming to the decision with no consultation with them or the broader Aboriginal community and they indicated further that the one chance over the last 30 years to bring about justice in an Aboriginal death in custody case has been missed. A prejudicial system... Tanya Day died in hospital on the 22nd of December 2017 from a brain hemorrhage caused by several falls she sustained within the first hour of being placed in a cell at Castlemaine Police Station. After suffering these injuries, she was then left lying on the floor of the cell for three more hours. Prior to being taken to the lockup on 5th December, a conductor had woken Auntie Tanya on a train bound for Melbourne asking for her ticket. Having been drinking that day, the disoriented woman couldn't find it, so the conductor decided to call the police. This led to her being placed in a cell under the watch of Sergeant Edwina Neal and leading senior constable Danny Walters. And after four hours of, re- of neglecting to follow cell monitoring protocols correctly, the officers realised Miss Day was in need of urgent medical treatment. One of the reasons that police took Auntie Tanya into custody is that Victoria still has harmful public drunkenness laws on the books. And another reason, as pointed out by her children, is the systemic racism shown in enforcing these laws. Hope dashed. 
The coronial inquest into the death of Tanya Day was significant, not just in terms of its outcomes, but also in the fact that Victoria State Coroner Caitlin English agreed to consider the role that systemic racism had played. On delivering her findings last April, English noted that Miss Day's death was clearly preventable had she not been arrested and taken into custody. She further outlined that an indictable offence that an indictable offence may have been committed and recommended the DPP consider charges. The Victorian coroner based these conclusions on evidence that revealed the officers on duty had failed to carry out proper cell checks in relation to a woman who was clearly in distress. This left Ms Day's condition to deteriorate when it could have been treated at an earlier stage. Sydney criminal lawyers spoke to Auntie Tanya's eldest daughter, Belinda Day, following the coronial recommendations. She said that the coroner having made the referral showed clearly that her mother's health and well-being weren't looked after. Despite over 430 First Nations deaths in custody since the 1991 Royal Commission into the matter, it's very rare for a coroner to make a recommendation to consider charges. And over that time period, not one police officer or prison guard has been convicted in relation to any of these deaths. Public drunkenness remains. Another unprecedented decision on the part of the coroner was that she stated prior to the inquest that she'd be recommending, recommending the offence of public drunkenness be abolished. And the Victorian government announced in August last year that it would be moving to do this. Belinda explained that this was a recommendation made by the Royal Commission. And she said, had the Victorian government actually heeded those recommendations and implemented it many years ago, it's quite likely Mum would still be with us today. Its well-known public drunkenness laws disproportionately affect First Nations people. At the time that Auntie Tanya was arrested, Aboriginal women were over 10 times more likely to be targeted by Victoria Police for being drunk in public compared with non-Indigenous women. Not only has Victoria remained one of just two jurisdictions the other being Queensland that has left this law on the books. But the penalty that applies for the offence has been increased eightfold since the turn of the century. However, a year after the Andrews government made the promise to revoke this racist law, it still stands under Section 13 of the Summary Offences Act 1966 VIC. The subtle indication... The decision to simply dismiss the recommendations of the coroner has dashed a lot of people's hope in seeing the Australian criminal justice system actually bring about any substantial justice in terms of Aboriginal deaths in custody. This dashing of hope comes on the back of a nationwide Black Lives Matter outcry over the prejudicial treatment the First Nations people have always faced at the hands of the imported justice system that deals with them as if they're a problem on their own lands. Over recent months, New South Wales Stop Deaths in Custody activists have called out their state coroner for simply dismissing custody deaths as accidents that don't warrant any recommendations. However, in Victoria, it seems that when the coroner does step up, those next in line ensure failure. And as long as those charged with the power to hold those involved with First Nations custody deaths to account continue to refuse to do so, it simply indicates to those with the power to save these lives to throw the rule book out the window as there doesn't seem to be a problem. And the author is Paul Gregori. Paul Gregori is a Sydney-based journalist and writer. He has a focus on human rights issues, encroachments on civil liberties, drug law reform, gender diversity and First Nations rights. Prior to Sydney criminal lawyers, he wrote for Vice and was the news editor at Sydney's City Hub. So I wanted to actually read out that article and and just to explain a little bit about Aunty Tanya Day's death because because the first interview was in regards to Aboriginal, Aboriginal deaths in custody. And we have covered Aunty Tanya's um, death so extensively and we've interviewed both her daughters, we've interviewed April and we've also interviewed Belinda and quite a number of people as well, um, lawyers and community activists, and we've also covered the inquest. And 
I felt that it was terribly important to just read out that article and to explain exactly what happened and what the outcome was um, of that inquest, not only about the findings, but more about the fact that police investigate police and that in this particular case and, in, and indeed in other deaths in custody, that police have, have never been really accountable. And the list goes on and on. And so I'm going to be ending this show um, very soon and I'll be doing a little bit of a preliminary ending today. It is sometimes extremely difficult to find interviews during these Stage 4 restrictions. I approached a few people today and one of them being that he couldn't actually do the interview because he may lose his job um, at a uni. There are quite a few people that have lost their jobs um, during this pandemic. So um, I've done my best to, to keep this show going. Um, so a cheerio to Peter and also to Rob, who can't be here today. And um, I'm going to be saying goodbye very soon. Um, it's goodbye from Marissa, and we're going to be going out with our theme song, Black Fella, White Fella, from the rugby band. And... Um, and a cheerio to everybody, and see you next week. Tune in every Monday from 4 or 5 for the Doin' Time Show. Bye.